Assalamu alaikum, everyone. My name is Muhi Khwaja. Welcome to the Muslim Philanthropy Podcast. Today on the show, I have Dr. Muhammad Idris from the American Relief Agency for the Horn of Africa. He serves as their executive director. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brother Muhi, and I'm honored to be here. Great. So, you know, as we do with all of our guests, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and then we'll talk about Araha and the wonderful work that you're doing there. Uh, and then just advice for people in the nonprofit community as well. Um, so I'd love to hear more about, uh, you know, where you grew up uh, and how you got into this work. Thank you, uh, Brother Mohi. And my name is Muhammad Idris, and um, I was born in Eritrea. Uh, East Africa, and then I left when I was a child. Um, I I moved to Sudan as one of those, uh, you know, as people uh, experience uh, civil war, uh, we have to flee, the family have to flee. We left to Sudan, and I I, I lived in Sudan uh, majority of my life, and um, and then I, uh, you know, in 1999, I came to the U.S., so it's almost like 23, 24 years. And within a year, um, I uh, I was part of Araha. I was actually a co-founder of Araha. Uh, as you may know, uh, in the uh, here in Minnesota, we have the largest East African immigrants. So mm -hmm. uh, this organization was established by the community to take care of those who have been, you know, left behind. And uh, as we know, the the region still suffering from drought, uh, flood, uh, sure. and uh, other calamities and conflicts. Mm -hmm. So it was just uh, an organization that was established by the community to, to help those people uh, in the region, in the Horn of Africa. So we, we focus on that specific area. Uh, and when we say the Horn of Africa, it, it includes Somalia, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, Eritrea, Djibouti, that part of the world that we also call East Africa. Okay. And we do, uh, we deliver uh, life essentials like food and water during disasters. Uh, and, 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 uh, and also we develop opportunities for people uh, so that they can take care of themselves through education, through uh, uh, self-reliance uh, projects. Mm -hmm. um, so when you lived in Sudan, um, in terms of moving from Eritrea and your family being there, um, did you experience, um, you know, as refugees in the U.S. Um, and then being a refugee in Sudan as well, what were some of the challenges that um, were were present before coming to the U.S. that you and the community here in the U.S. wanted to help uh, families back in the Horn of Africa? Yeah, that's a good question, uh, because sometimes I reflect on, um, you know, what made me join the uh, nonprofit and the humanitarian sector. And some most of the time that you 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 join something and you don't know what is motivating you at that moment, but later on you reflect on it after many years, and I think for in my end could be that because at one point of time I was a recipient of aid as well because I went through what mm -hmm. many displaced people went through, uh, through war and displacement and uh, walking for days. Uh, and nights um, and, and being scared because of the war. 
So I went through that. And uh, so later on to be in a position where also I'm a, an aid giver uh, and going back to those people who one day I was part of them is, is something that I reflect upon. And I, I, I see it was maybe what was part of that motivation uh, that being a person who knows the hardship that people are going through. Uh, and I think that kept me going for, for the last 23 years in this in this field. SubhanAllah. I mean, there's a lot of perseverance. Uh, there's a lot of um, coordinating efforts, uh, you know, coming to the U.S. and starting a large relief agency is no small feat, right? There was a lot of effort that had to go into that. Can you share a little bit more about, you know, those first early years of Araha and how you were able to uh, build this agency? Yeah, so when I came uh, came late 1999, and I remember even as a person uh, having in my, I have a family, small family with me, but I have almost like $300 in my pocket, and but it's still, you know, optimistic and that things will be <laughs> taken care of and resolved and just having that mindset of, uh, of uh, you know, people who went through some difficult times, they... Um, when they, uh, you know, go go through life, sometimes they take things easier uh, because they went through some difficult times. Um, but within a year, I remember I found myself um, joining or thinking about the people who left behind with a group of of uh, activists here in the in Minnesota, you know, from all different background, uh, you know, Somalis, Ethiopians, Kenyans, Sudanese, Eritreans. Uh, and and we just came together and said, you know, um, we are blessed to be in the U.S. We are not thinking about our next meal for our kids. But we also know that the area where we came from is still struggling. And there is a moral obligation that we need to, um, you know, help. Uh, so what we need to do. So we have several meetings. And that's how um, Araha was, was established. Uh, so then going from uh, a new organization to now 20 plus years later, what are some of the achievements that uh, you and your team are most proud of? Um, you know, it's 23 years seems is a long time, uh, but um, I think we learn a lot during this time. Uh, first of all, is that you start nonprofit and and you know with all this passion you don't have the knowledge um you don't have the how to but you have that passion that keep you going um and later on of course we've realized that that you know starting a nonprofit organization uh it's not that easy it's it's it's, it's not about the start it's about actually the ongoing it's about the perfection it's about the growing it's about how to build a solid foundation that um, you know, um, uh, really uh, establish itself. Uh, and it's not only rely on one people or two people or five people, but it can be a legacy that can be, uh, you know, continue its mission uh, for a long time. Uh, we, I learned personally that um, there is a lot of work that could be done uh, and one thing I did in my late life a um, few years ago, I decided to go for uh, 
doctoral program about organization mm -hmm. development and change. And what um, motivates me to do that is because I have been doing this leadership and management of nonprofit organization for 23 years. I did the I do the I did the practice and uh, the the do, but but I didn't have the theory behind all this work. So I said, you know what? Why don't I learn, you know, the theory behind, uh, you know, uh, the dynamic of groups, the team yes. buildings, the you know how to lead, how to lead change within organization, um, how to know your 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 biases and and how to deal with cultural diversity uh, and all these things. And so mm -hmm. it was an open mind for me um, uh, that really uh, there is a lot of work can be done if if people also have the, you know, the knowledge and the experience. But of course, many or many nonprofits, they start with passion with no knowledge, uh, and later on they gain that. So um, there are many things that really um, I learned in life um, that's very important for nonprofit organization. One of it is really to build so, uh, a solid foundation, mm -hmm. uh, an organization that is established on a system, uh, uh, not on people, uh, organization that uh, uh, have a track of uh, uh, transparency and accountability. Because that is the, our capital. That's our, um, you know, assets. Uh, the trust that that donors have uh, in in you know in our organization um, to to uh, you know always to have that um, you know mindset of building a system, building something that is going to last, inshallah, for generation and generation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I I learned a lot, um, and I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> So as, as a lifelong student and learner, um, when you did your uh, doctorate program, uh, what was your main thesis or focus during the program? My main thesis was about cultural diversity management in the context of international uh, NGOs. Okay. Uh, and that was a, a fascinating uh, subject. Uh, and I have been fascinated by uh, diversity just as a phenomena uh, and 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 managing diversity you know we when sometimes when we see um the root of the problem that we we solve you know as nonprofits sometimes especially humanitarian organization most of our work um you know go on the symptoms of the problems uh you know because we help people after they have been Forced to leave areas of conflict, or or there is a you know a disaster relief or man-made, but uh, but sometimes the underlying problems are, you know, uh, things related to politics and 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 and, and good governance and uh, uh, you know things like that. Um, so if we go back to Africa right now, a lot of failed state, unfortunately, is because they are they couldn't manage their diversity. Uh, whether it is religious diversity, whether it is you know uh, ethnic uh, diversity, so manage the di management of diversity is really crucial. It it could make um, you know countries uh, you know uh, in a uh, make diversity as a blessing for these for these countries because it can bring uh, 
richness. It can bring um, strength. It can bring uh, resources together. It's it's it, it has a beauty. It has it can be bring innovation and and and, and creativity. But if you don't manage it well, it can be also a curse. <laughs> it could be a source sure. of uh, conflict. It could be uh, a, a source of tension. It could mm-hmm. be, uh, and this is not only within you know countries, but it could be also within organization. If you don't manage your diverse team uh, properly, uh, it can be a source of. Uh, you know, ca- lack of cohesion. Uh, there was issue in communication, in processes. Mm-hmm. So it's really, uh, I was fascinated by this phenomenon. And I wanted to study it, but because um, when you take, you know, doctorate program and when, when you want to do thesis, they don't allow you to, to take big topic. They always ask you to narrow down uh, things. So I took cultural diversity within the context of this sector that I lived in uh, for 23 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in, in relation to these NGOs and, you know, if you were to summarize the top two points from from your learning, um, were, you know, were there other agencies and nonprofit organizations that you highlighted in your study or was it just general advice that any nonprofit organization can apply? The two main um, highlight, if I would give from my thesis, is one is that um, it's about the nature of managing diversity, okay, uh, especially cultural diversity management. It's the, the 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 process is challenging, it's uh, hard, it's uncomfortable, it's uh, messy, it is complex, um, it is sensitive. Um, and when I say hard, because it, it involved, you know, people and mm-hmm. you, when you manage people, it's, it's hard job by itself, even if they are from the same background, let alone when you bring people from different background, from, you know, they have different languages, they have different thinking worldview and uh, managing people like this with different perception, with different motivations. It's just, it's just harder. It's also, uh, um, um, you know, uh, uncomfortable because there is, you know, uh, this cultural diversity brings some awkward moment. <laughs> I, I remember one of the one of the participant. Uh, he was telling me a story of uh, that they are they are actually a Muslim organization in Chicago, and um, so he was he was um, he was partnering with church and synagogue to mm-hmm. to help the people in Afghanistan and it looks like uh, so they, they it looks like the the church invited one of the reporter to come and you know cover this partnership of of faith based and you know uh, Muslims and Christian and Jewish coming together and um the the priest I think of the church was uh, you know female and and here's the mail is from the Muslim organization and they are talking. And then suddenly the reporter is asking them, would you please hug each other so that, you know, take this moment. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so there is some awkward moment because of, you know, people lack uh, cultural diversity. Um, so it is just a, in summary, it's difficult and hard. And, and and that's why not every leader and, and manager can succeed 
in uh, in in really managing a cultural diversity a culturally diverse team. Uh, so I I studied what are the component of success to be successful in cultural diversity management. And I came up with uh, five components, and I hope I can remember it right now since you asked about it. So number one is uh, uh, self-awareness and social awareness. Okay. To know yourself, to know your biases, to know your limitation as a, as a person. And also to people, the, the, to, to know the people who are, you know, working around you. And they're, they're thinking the way, you know, there are certain dimension how different culture look at things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, an example could be like the, the time zone. We have some culture that you tell them at 6 p.m., they come to you at 7. And then uh, they ask you to wait until 8. And then you, you can't go at 9 if they, if they don't show up. <laughs> so it's just the time is, uh, is, uh, is, you know, very, very, very flexible. Uh, so to know, to know the, yourself and others. And then the second thing is uh, uh, to be uh, culturally competent. And, and that means basically to, to have the ability to function across different cultures, mm -hmm. uh, and to think also uh, uh, properly with different culture. That's also another, another important thing. Uh, training is, I found it is one of the successful ones because there are some biases that we cannot uh, know uh, unless we, we, we trained on it, you know, like, like, you know, implicit biases, uh, it's sure. difficult to know unless you get trained on. And sometimes we become CEOs, uh, you know, while we are of an organization, while we come from a technical perspective, like, uh, an accountant or an IT person got promoted over time to be a CEO, you know, dealt with numbers all the time, not, not with people. So, you know, so uh, we need training from time to time on cultural diversity. Uh, we also, uh, uh, also uh, culture of inclusion is, is important um, for people to, you know, to make people feel that they are uh, respected and accepted in where they are. Uh, and it is a, it's a culture that you have to bring as a leader uh, uh, to the organization or to your team and 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 to embrace it yourself uh, and that's one of the one of the actually component also to be a model yourself as a leader so because people sense it uh, your staff yeah. will sense it if you are really embracing cultural diversity uh, or or it's just a slogan for you uh so so these are just some of the the components that uh, it's really uh, critical and important um, um for for cultural diversity management and I'm, I can talk a lot about this. Uh, <laughs> it need a different. Uh, it may need a different uh, episode for that. <laughs> sure. I mean, it reminds me a lot of my um, graduate program that I did and taking my organizational behavior course. Um, so that was probably one of my favorite classes. So I'm glad you were able to share a little bit more uh, around that and how it can affect uh, the leadership and implementation even of programs at the ground level uh for organizations um absolutely what are some of the core programs that araha implements um in the countries that you serve so we have uh eight program um <laughs> and we design this program based on the needs of their area so you can categorize it uh into 
you know, relief aspect is like what, you know, basic like water and food. This is one of the areas that really uh, hit uh, all the time, uh, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, and we have an extreme case in the Horn of Africa. Actually, climate change is very clear there. Yeah. If you look at our uh, relief program, it's two extreme opposite. It's uh, flood relief and drought relief. Wow. So every two years we have those. So right now, since 2020, for the last three years, um, the region have been devastated by severe drought that you know killed a lot of uh, animals, livestock, which is the the wealth of the people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of farms, uh, har- a lot of farmers harvest uh, have been failed. Um, it was just very difficult three years. And then suddenly next, since since last month, we have a severe flood and a lot of rain. And as you may know, the, when the soil is very dry, it doesn't hold the water. So it's, it's caused really flooding and that, uh, you know, almost uh, killed over 200 people so far, displaced about a, hundred, about a million people uh, in, in Somalia, Ethiopia and Kenya. Those are the three countries that have been hit bad, uh, badly uh, by this uh, event. So so that is the, 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 the relief aspect that we, we, we take care of. But then we know that this is not the answer, really, because the problem in this region are there is an underlying problem, you know, poverty and and uh, and you know ignorance and uh, uh, so we we also focus on uh, education, uh, self reliance, things that make people uh, rely on themselves. Uh, we also have solar energy as part of our uh, program because, as you may know, the equator pass in the Horn of Africa, so we have uh, plenty of. Uh, solar energy. So we always, you know, try to think about how we can take advantage of that to help and bring relief to many families through solar uh, cooker, solar light, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the program. And we try to be uh, innovative uh, with, uh, you know, always try to look at these uh, areas and say, you know, what program is working, what is not working. So one of the process we do is really to think about okay if this program is not well let's let's stop let's let's do something else we used to do a shallow water wells a lot sometimes like 60 70 water wells mm-hmm. uh, but because of this the severe drought that happened we stopped it a couple of years ago because it's just it's not effective um uh, although for us as an organization was very good a, a lot of people love it for 3000 you can dig a well Sure. But uh, we have to be honest with them and say, you know what, this is not a good investment uh, when, because the, the 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 level of water went down. So shallow well is getting dry and you don't want to just put money there. So we stop and we start focusing on, 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 on uh, you know, borehole and, and, and things like that. So these are some of the program that we also we have orphan sponsorship. Uh, we have um, sustainability and, and uh, program. Uh, so these are some of the program we do. Okay. And then in setting up the organization and dealing internationally, working with uh, different partners on the ground, uh, governments, other entities within each country, what have some of the lessons learned and challenges been to effectively uh, send aid to these countries? There is a lot of lesson um, 
because when you work in the Horn of Africa, you have to deal with uh, local challenges and, you know, uh, challenges in the area. The area we work in is very difficult. Um, uh, sometimes you don't you don't have uh, roads um, that take you to do things that you want to do. Uh, sometimes, the, um, unfortunately, the local governments are, are not also helpful. Uh, there are a lot of corruption. So how you mm. you pass over that, um, how you can do your work, um, uh, feeling that, um, you know, really what you are sending is really being implemented. Uh, uh, you know, we are human beings, so uh, corruption are there. So how to protect the organization, how to protect the asset of the organization, um, and then also to know what are the, the the most effective way to do things. You know, sometimes we as an organization um, we cut on the day to day work, right? And, uh, and we just do things because it's just going on. But you know, as humanitarians, we have always to question what we are doing and 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 to question the effectiveness of it. And is is it really helping the people or for example, you are bringing culture of dependency, you know, uh, sure. and, and and a bad culture for for local people. Uh, so we we try to bring uh, new ideas, new you know, innovative way of of doing things. Um, for example, a few years ago, we built a, a sand dam. This is a new, one of the new innovative way uh, to capture water. So in the Horn of Africa, we get rain from time to time not a lot but from time to time we get mm -hmm. and then and then but the problem happened is because there is no infrastructure this water come and get flush and, and went to to the ocean and people back to you know the drowners mm -hmm. uh so how we can for example these seasonal rivers how we can build uh like a kind of a, a bridge um that does not stop the water but to slow the the flow so that you can capture huge amount of millions of gallons behind that dam and this way you can you know a lot of animals can drink from it you can you can build uh, or you can dig shallow wells in that mm -hmm. area that area will be green and we found it very very helpful for example um we start uh, tackling deforestation um you know we have for example dairy goats program and when we give to people who lost their uh, their goats, we ask them, you know, we give them a seed and we ask them to build, to 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 uh, plant the seed in their home and, and ask them that, you know, to keep it grow for a year. And then we incentivize them that we will give them another goat after one year if this uh, become a tree. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because we know this, we are going to solve more than one problem when we have this. And we know people do not have water. So we ask them, you know what, whenever you want to wash your hands or you make wudu, just uh, be on that tree at home there. And this way, the, the little water that you can you are using, you can you can, you know, use it for that. And this way you have uh, you have uh, uh, something that can give you shade in future. And and we did a pilot project and we found uh, 60, 70 percent was successful. That's so great. almost uh, one village that we gave them this, uh, we found like almost half of the village was green. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, which so sometimes the small um, tactics that if you are mindful of what you are doing is really helpful. 
one of the other things, you know, I just thought of as well is, you know, within these different countries, you have different cultures and of course the diversity as you were talking about, but um, do they all speak different languages? How are you communicating with your staff to the people on the ground that you also employ and work with? Uh, what are some of the challenges there? Yeah, so the Horn of Africa, although it seems for me from people who are not from there, um, you know, it looks the same, but but it's different. There are hundreds of languages, hundreds of, you know, different culture, different religion. Um, and even within our, within Araha, we have about, last time we I tracked, there was like 10 different languages that we speak within Araha team. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, um so it is not easy. Uh, it's not easy, but 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 we try to have English as a main, uh, the main language that we, you know, the medium, the language that bring us all. But still, we have to manage that cultural diversity that even within that, uh, within that small region of the world, uh, it's very diverse and it's it's challenging. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not easy. So I want to spend some time talking about Sudan as well, because the conflict there, um, has that presented more need and urgency to support in different ways? Um, and what has Araha been able to do in, in the region there? Yes, uh, uh, Araha actually are among the few organizations that is still working there. Um, actually, we evacuated our team just a couple of days ago in a, a city called Medani or Wad Medani in uh, two hours from Khartoum, the capital. And because we have we have a feeding center there that where we're feeding over 3,500 people on a daily basis, two meals per day. Uh, those are displaced people from Khartoum, from the capital, you know, because of the war. Sure. And now suddenly a couple of days ago, the war spilled over and and came to this city and our team has to basically flee and the people of the IDP has to flee, unfortunately, just, you know, um, to save their lives. Um, and now, you know, our team regroup in another city. Um, um, so we are, we have been working um, since the, the beginning of the conflict there. We have a very active team uh, and actually I, I joined them uh, last June, after the conflict, um, I joined them and I we went to this area that I'm talking about right now, uh, that we evacuated them. And I saw um, a lot of devastation, uh, a lot of families who left Khartoum and they don't know where to go. Uh, Three million people have been uh, fled uh, Khartoum, the capital. Uh, Two million of them internally. So a lot of families in Sudan are holding and hosting another family. Yeah. And they are just sharing with them the little resources that they have. Wow. So the situation is, is really um, uh, is, is bad. Uh, but we have team that are trying to do their best uh, with all this is going on. And this is just tell you, you know, how, uh, you know, grateful we should be really for the field teams that we all work with because they risk their life. Uh, they work in a very hard area. Uh, uh, and I like to remind myself because sometimes we go there, we stay for a few days, but those people are staying there for, you know, for, for a long time. Um, so we have a very strong program there. 
uh, including uh, just right now it's more of a basic relief uh, effort, um, food, uh, non-food items, blankets, mattresses. When I visited that region was, um, I, I found pregnant women laying down on a, a solid uh, ground that's really, you cannot even sit in, but you know, they are in this situation and it's, it's 116 degree Fahrenheit. Wow. Um, so Sudan is really, and one, one sad fact about it also is that there is no media. Right. You don't hear about that, uh, out, uh, you know, it's the war is going on there, but, uh, we made a campaign, but it's really, we are not getting that attention. And of course there are other parts of the world also are going through you know, difficult time like our brothers and sister in Gaza. May Allah right. make it easier for all and, you know, other yeah. parts of the world. But we are in this uh, crazy world these days. SubhanAllah. Well, you know, I, I want more people to learn about the work that Raha is doing. Um, so definitely anybody listening, please go check out their website, their social media, learn more about the programs how you can connect them in your community and raise more support for the wonderful work that they're doing. Um, is there anything that we did not cover that you'd like to share? Um, I, I, I just really want to thank you, uh, Brother Mohi, for uh, this opportunity and for thanks to whoever is listening. And this is really an opportunity to talk about, uh, you know, what we do and we share ideas and I look forward also to hear from you because you bring a lot of people of expertise here. So I'm I'm sure your brain have a lot of ideas that we, we need to learn from uh, Brother Mohe. So inshallah, uh, uh, I chat with you also uh, outside this and, and, and we learn from each other, inshallah. Definitely. Thank you, Dr. Idris, for sharing with us more about the work that Raha is doing. And uh, may Allah continue to bless you and your organization uh, with the wonderful work and necessary work that you're doing. I mean, I mean, thank you, brother. Well, yeah, come. Well, I thought inshallah.